Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is the word of God. Uh, Paul has been teaching us uh, since we've been in chapter 5 about how being filled with the Holy Spirit affects uh, those closest relationships of our lives. There is the necessity and, and even the command that's given to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, that is something you should pray for. It is your submission to God, your uh, surrender to His full control over every part of your being. And when we live that way, when we live our lives fully surrendered to God, it's going to show itself in how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. It's rooted in mutual submission. Back in chapter 5, verse 21, he gave this command, this evidence of being filled with the Spirit, that we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We put others above ourselves and we submit to one another. And in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, he showed us specifically how that worked itself out in the relationship of husbands and wives. Wives, he gives the command to submit to the leadership of the husband in the home, to respect him. And he gives the command to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, a love that is willing to lay down its very life, a love that submits itself to the other. And then last week, we, we looked at that relationship in the first part of chapter 6 between children and their fathers. Application goes to parents as a whole, but Paul specifically wrote to fathers. And the command to children was simply this, obey your parents. So once again, kids, if you want to know God's will for your life right now, it is this, that you obey your parents. Honor them. Honor your father and mother. And then to fathers, he gives that command to nourish your children, to teach them, to train them, to correct them, to admonish them, and be that spiritual leader in the home. And so now he turns in chapter 6, verse 5 through 9 to another, what was in his day a common household relationship, and that was between servants and their masters. Servants and masters. And I think we have to talk about what he means by this because there is a misunderstanding about what slavery is when we read about it in the Bible. Slavery in Paul's day, slavery in Rome in the first century, was not the same thing as American slavery. That's what we tend to think about when we think of the word slavery. Uh, slavery in America was based mainly on race. And it lasted for a person's entire life. Once a person was uh, taken as a slave, usually they did not get out of that. In the Roman context in which Paul lived, slavery wasn't based on your ethnicity at all. And it actually wasn't always lifelong. It could have been just for a period of life. 
Here's how big of a deal slavery was in, in Rome's economy. An estimated 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. In a city like Ephesus, where Paul's writing this letter, it could have been that literally one-third of the population would have been someone else's servant. It was a normal part of their economy. One scholar, one Bible commentator wrote this. He says, they did not merely do menial work. They did nearly all the work, including oversight and management and most professions. Some slaves were more educated than their owners. They could own property, even slaves, and were allowed to save money to buy their freedom. No slave class existed, for slaves were present in all but the highest of economic and social strata, and many of them gained their freedom by age 30. So that's a totally different kind of context than what we tend to think about when we hear the word slavery. Some people became slaves by birth. They were born into a household that owned slaves. Others were sold by their parents or were abandoned and taken into someone's home as a servant. Some were uh, captured in war. Some became slaves because they couldn't pay their debts. You owed someone money, you couldn't pay it, so what do you do? You pledge yourself to them and essentially become their property and work off your debt. Some became slaves voluntarily in order to, to gain some better life. They found themselves in such a terrible financial or family situation that it really looked better for them to go and live with a person who was wealthy enough to take care of them uh, so that they could work for them. There was no racial factor involved in, in Roman uh, slavery. Some slaves lived in the best of circumstances and others were very severely mistreated. Really what it came down to was who your master was. If you had a, a harsh, uh, cruel master, then you lived a pretty miserable life. If you had a, a kind, honorable man uh, who was your master, then you could actually live a really good life even as someone else's servant. So Paul's words to the Ephesians in verses 5 through 9 in that sort of context really make a lot of sense. He's talking about how to treat one another in that relationship. Now, by addressing servants and masters in Paul's letter here, he's not endorsing slavery. I don't want you to take what I'm saying in any way to think that I think that slavery is a good thing. It's not. Christians are called to love their neighbor, not to own their neighbor. We're to treat one another as we would want to be treated, not to make our neighbors do the things that we want them to do. That's not God's design. In fact, Christianity is all about setting the captive free, right? You were once enslaved to sin, and God, in his, through his love for you, sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be set free from sin. And we live that out in our lives. We don't own other people. So slavery is not a good thing, and Paul isn't condoning it or endorsing it by writing to slaves and to masters. His goal in writing to the Ephesians is not to change the societal structures of the day. There was no political action committee headed up by the Christians. They had very little weight when it came to changing society from the top down. They didn't have the voice like many Christians do today in, this, uh, in our context in America. So he's not trying to change societal structures. He's simply writing this letter to instruct Christians about how to live spirit-filled lives in the context in which they live. 
And that's a lesson that many of us could learn. We can't always change the societal structures around us. Now, we have more privilege and more opportunity than probably anyone else in all of world history to have a say-so in government and how our country is run and to have our say in the way the structures are set up. But we can't always change the things around us. And so what we do as Christians primarily is not to change the structures of the world, but to live spirit-filled, godly lives in the midst of the context wherever we find ourselves. So Paul's point in writing to them is here's how you live in a, a spirit-filled life in the world that you're in. We can't change the world. We can't change all of our circumstances, but we can still live like Christians no matter what the circumstances may be. That's Paul's point in writing to servants and to masters. Now, none of us in this room are slaves to a master. None of us are owned by another person. So what do, we, what do we do with this passage when we come to it and study it in a 21st century American context? I think that we can take the principles of God's word, take the principles that are found in these verses and apply them to our context, mainly in how we conduct ourselves in our work. You see, the, probably the closest parallel relationship to which we can apply these teachings is in the relationship between an employee and an employer. That's about as close as we're going to get to it. So whether you're a, a first century slave or a 21st century employee in a company, the principle stands, all work is to be done for the Lord. All work is to be done for the Lord. You see that just in this passage. Verse 5, he says, Bond service, be obedience to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Work is a good thing. Work is a gift from God. Some people have this idea that God created the world perfect and we all got to just be lazy. And then whenever sin came into the world, then we had to start working. But that's not actually what happened. Read Genesis again. God created the world. He created a garden. He put Adam and Eve in it. And he told Adam, he said, work this garden and reproduce its fruit. Then sin came into the world. And what was the curse? Not that he had to work, but that work would be hard. That's the curse. Work is a gift from God. We need work. We need that purpose. We need that uh, act of service. We need these opportunities to worship God in our work. And that's a gift from God. So don't complain about having to go to work. You can complain that it's hard, I guess. But don't complain about work because work is good and we need it. It's a gift from God. But no matter who you call your boss, you really only have one Lord and Master, right? And that is Jesus Christ. Now, you don't use that as an excuse to disrespect or disobey your boss. I don't have to listen to you. I belong to Jesus. You see how long you get to keep your job that way. Rather, you work for others as you would work for the Lord. Because indeed, you do your work for the Lord. So the command is given there in verse 5, be obedient 
to those who are your masters according to the flesh. It is important to that those who have authority over us, those who would be our masters, are only so according to the flesh. That God is the one whom we truly serve. And of course, our obedience to anyone else is secondary to our obedience to God. If you have a job and they tell you to do something unethical, something that's sinful, you have a right to say no because your master is Jesus Christ and he commands you otherwise. But unless it's a sinful thing or an unethical thing, you obey your masters, you obey your bosses just as you would obey the Lord. We're called to be obedient just the same. So how does Paul command servants to obey in this passage and how should we work uh, in our context today? Let me just give you four things here. Number one, work with respect. Work with with respect. He says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Now that doesn't mean that you just hate and despise your job and you're scared of your boss. Okay. I hope that none of you have had that experience. You probably have just because there's some really terrible bosses out there. Uh, But that's not what he's talking about here. The word that he uses for fear, he actually uses the same word or Peter uses the same word in first Peter three to talk about respect. They're talking about that issue of respect between wives and husbands. And so when he, he says to obey them with fear and trembling, he's talking about honoring them for, and, and respecting them for that position that they have over you. No man has authority except what's been given to him by God. And that applies to your boss as well. You obey and, and you do your job and you do it with respect. You don't talk nasty about them behind their back. You don't text your coworkers and just trash them. Uh, but you be respectful of those whom God has put in authority over you. And let me say this too. This is regardless of whether you think they deserve it or not. 1 Peter 2.18, Peter said it this way. He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. There's some really terrible people out there to work for. Listen, we've all had that experience. But regardless of whether you have the best boss on the planet or he's just a piece of trash, (laughs) you are to treat with honor and respect and do your job well. So work with respect. Secondly, work with your whole heart. Work with your whole heart. He says there at the end of of verse 5, he says to do it in sincerity of heart as to Christ. And at the end of verse 6, he says doing the will of God from the heart. See, the bottom, the, the bottom line in every issue for Christians is where is your heart? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, you labor. Where does your heart stand? Are you giving your whole heart to the work that God has given you to do, wherever that may be? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all. Do what? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think about all the jobs that you've ever had in your life. Think about the worst job you ever had in your life right now. Who's thinking of something? Okay, so you've had something that you can classify as the worst job of your life. No matter what that was, no matter how nasty it was or how terrible the people were that you worked with or worked for, in every circumstance, you are to work with your whole heart as for the Lord, as to the Lord. You can actually work, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I was 13 years old and started mowing yards, if I'd had any sense about me, I could have done it in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
If you work in sales, you can work in sales and be a good employee, have respect for your boss. You can do it with all of your heart and do it in the name of the Lord Jesus in a way that honors him. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Giving what? Thanks. This week's Thanksgiving, y'all, okay? Give thanks. There's your, there's your Thanksgiving sermon if you wanted one. Giving thanks with your whole heart to God the Father through him. You see, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can work with your whole heart and you can do it with gratitude even if you don't like what you're doing. You can have gratitude to God for the job that he's given you, the provision he's made for you and for your family. You can thank him for the opportunities that are in front of you to be his witness and to live a godly life in front of the world, even at work. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now he says, not with eye service. What does he mean by that? Not with eye service. That means that we don't only do well when we're being watched. That's an easy thing to do, especially if you don't like your job. And certainly many servants didn't like their masters. And it might be tempting to do a really good job and put on a nice show and make sure everything's right when the master's in the room or when your boss is in your office. But then once he's gone or once she's gone and you're able to go about your day and about your work on your own, things sort of change and fall apart. You scroll social media, you text your friends, you, whatever you do, you don't do it as you would have if they were standing right there in the room with you. Don't do well only when being watched. I remember one job I had, I don't want to narrow it down too much because I don't want you to find out who I'm talking about. Uh, we'll just call him Bill. How's that? Uh, Bill, um, he liked to sleep. And he did not like to come to work early. And uh, at, at, at the job I had at the time, there was an empty office in the back that nobody used it except maybe to take phone calls or to have a meeting just on the fly or something. It was just an empty room with a desk and a couple of chairs. And uh, one morning I came in and I was getting ready to start the day and I got a phone call and I stepped away from everybody else and went to this empty office. Uh, the lights were off. I flipped the lights on, answered the phone. And I'm standing there having a conversation and pacing. Who, who paces when they're on the phone? I get most of my steps in a day while I'm on the phone. That's just part of, part of my life. Uh, but I'm walking around the room while I'm talking on the phone, and I start to sit down in this chair, and I kick my feet under the desk, and I hear, uh. <laughs> and uh, Bill is lying under the desk with his coat rolled up under his head. He was sleeping in the, in the empty office space there uh, in the dark at work. I said, man, if I was going to take a nap, I think I'd have just taken the day off. And he said, I guess you found my secret spot. Yeah, I did. Don't be like Bill, okay? Don't, don't do eye service. Don't work well when people are watching, but when you find a quiet, dark room, take a nap. Don't do that. We work hard. We work to honor the Lord, whether we are being seen or not. And let's just be honest. We're in 2023. Everybody's got a, a ring doorbell, and there's cameras everywhere. You're probably being watched anyway, even when you think you're not. Uh, this applies to all areas of life including ministry. Paul said this to the, to the Philippians. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Live a life that's honoring to God. Live a life that works out your salvation. Not just when the apostles are around, but he says, much more in my absence. Work that much harder when you think no one's watching just because you want to honor the Lord. And here's something you should know too. Proverbs says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
So even when we feel like we're not being watched, when we think there are no cameras or no bosses around to see what we're doing, know this, work well, because the eyes of the Lord are in every place. God sees you and God knows what you're doing at all times. So work heartily for him. He says not to do it as men pleasers. Uh, Don't work just to get on somebody's good side or to work your way up uh, to do things for your own advantage. But work as to the Lord. Third, work with goodwill. Work with goodwill. He says, verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Work with the best intentions or the best interest of everyone else in mind. Work with the best interest of your coworkers in mind. Work with the best interest of your boss in mind. One story that came to mind this week as I was studying this was the servant girl in the story of Naaman. You remember Naaman, Naaman, the, the captain in the Syrian army? He was a really important man, but he had one problem. And what was it? He was a leper. He had this standing. He, he was great. And he was some, somebody that everybody knew. But he had this little hidden secret problem. He had leprosy. And he has this servant girl that had been taken as a captive when, when Syria invaded Israel. And she had been brought in to serve Naaman's wife. And when this young servant girl finds out that her master Naaman has leprosy, she says, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, if you're a servant girl and you've been taken away from your home and you've been brought into the home of a stranger and you're forced to do labor for this family, it would be very easy to resent the people that you work for. Because those circumstances stink. That's a terrible thing that happened to her. But when she heard that her master had leprosy, she didn't say serves him right. When she heard that he had leprosy, she said, you know what? I really wish he knew that prophet that I know in Samaria because he'd be able to help him. And as Christians, that's the attitude that we ought to take even in our workplace, right? When, when something bad happens to somebody you don't like, you don't say, yeah, about time. You had it coming, should have known. But no, you love and you pray for and you serve the people that you work with and work for. With goodwill, he says, doing service, humbly, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a heart. This is an attitude that only the Lord can produce in you. Because we do it, he says, as to the Lord and not to men. They aren't really the ones in charge. We submit to our Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing is this, work for the real reward. Work for the real reward. He says in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. He will receive the same from the Lord. Now we can work hard for various reasons in our job. We can go for the promotion, for the notoriety. We can go for the raise. We can go for the, you know, extended time off. Whatever your motivation may be to work well, The real reason we ought to be good workers and to be good laborers wherever we are is because we want the reward that comes from God. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You, you know this. For what profit is it if, to a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. There is a day coming when Jesus will return and you will give an account for your life, whether you lived it for yourself or for the Lord, and you shall be rewarded. Christians, listen, you will receive rewards based on how you obeyed God and lived for him in this world. So when you are working tomorrow, when you get to the office or whatever you go to do, work hard, be respectful, have goodwill to those, work with all your heart, but don't do it for men, don't do it for yourself, but do it for the Lord, knowing that one day He will give a reward to those who have lived faithfully. That's the reward that's worthwhile. Maybe you get passed over for promotion. So what? So work for the Lord anyway. Maybe it comes up time for review and you don't get a raise. Work hard anyway because your reward is in heaven. And that reward will last forever. Let's just be honest. If you get a raise, you'll find a way to spend it. But your reward in heaven lasts forever. And notice this. He says he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You see, Christ has removed all hierarchical distinctions. He's writing to people who are literally slaves and masters. But he says God will reward the one who does, that, does faithful service, whether he's a slave or free. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you've been born again, if you have been... Uh, united with Christ in his body, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Those things which society looks at as distinctions between us do not exist in God's eyes because we are one body, his body, his children. So whether you're an employee or an employer, in God's eyes that distinction doesn't exist. You should both work heartily as to the Lord. Just a word to uh, masters, Paul gives here in verse 9, and we can make application to employers, whether you're a boss in a company or whether you hire somebody to come mow your yard. I think the principles apply. He says this in verse 9, do the same things to them. Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Do the same things to them, he says. Recognize the value of those who work for you from God's perspective. We don't think of people as just employees. Just run-of-the-mill workers. Just the yard guy. Just the plumber. 
Those people who do work for us are just as valuable in God's eyes as you are. If they've been born again, they have the same standing as you in Christ. So treat them like it. Respect them like it. He says, giving up threatening. He had to say that to masters because some of them, frankly, were very harsh. They were cruel. You're just a servant. You're just a slave. You have to do what I say, whether you like it or not. But mistreatment of workers ought never to come from a Christian boss. Christians, let's just be honest about it, ought to be the best people to work for in all the world. It's Sunday. Some of you are going to go out to eat after uh, church today. And you hear it all the time. Waitresses, waiters, they hate working on Sundays. Because a lot of people who come in and come straight from church are some of the hardest people they deal with all week and the stingiest tippers. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're in a company or if you just go out to eat and you have somebody serving you your food. You serve them with, you honor them with respect, you value them, you withhold threatenings. We are commanded to love our neighbors, even our enemies. Why would you not think God would command you to love the person who works for you? He says, knowing that your own master is in heaven. Hey, this is just a reminder. Even if you're the boss on earth, you've got a master in heaven. You're not the final authority. You don't have the last say. People may give an account to you right now in this life, but you will give an account to God for the way you treat them and handle yourself. And he shows no partiality. Those who work for you are no less valuable to him, and in his sight you are no more valuable than they. There's an old saying, I'm sure you've heard it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You see, we all stand in the same problem. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of that, we all face the same consequences. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We all face those same consequences. We all have the same need. You must be born again. And we all have the same answer, the same solution, the same Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, whether a slave or free, an employee or an employer, no one comes to the Father except through me. Regardless of what you do on Monday through Friday, you need to be born again. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven and have life. And once you receive forgiveness of sins, and once he gives you that gift of new life, we love as we have been loved and treat others the way we have been treated.
serve just as we have been served. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If you've received forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, you have a perfect standing with God. All who have come, regardless of their position in society, all have come the same way, and that's through Jesus. So we must show the love that we have been shown and submit to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, I'll just be honest, some passages are easier to preach than others. But your word is true and carries weight in our lives. These things we've read and talked about this morning are very practical. And Lord, I pray that your people would be obedient to your word. That we would neglect none of your commands. And that in everything that we do, we would do it with all our heart, with all our strength, because we love you. I pray that in every relationship, whether in marriage or with parents and children or at work, I pray that your people would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.